Hi there, listener, and welcome to episode 71 of the Ski Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Firstly, as always, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the podcast. And the big news from Switzerland is that Roger Federer has just come on board as an ambassador. So if you listen right to the end of the podcast, you'll be able to hear our exclusive interview with him. Now, uh, listener, if you're joining us for the first time, please do subscribe so you never miss an episode. We have a lot of episodes uh, going out, but today we're covering a lot of topics. We're going to be talking about Les Deux Alpes, uh, snowshoeing in Engelberg, testing and travel and what's going on with that. Uh, We've got snow reports from around the Alps, and we're going to be focusing a little bit on equipment today. Uh, But firstly, I'd like to welcome my guests. Uh, We have Helena, who is PR from Les Deux Alpes. Morning, Helena. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Ryan. I'm fine. And you, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Excellent. And uh, we have Alan Morgan from Ski Kit Info. Uh, Hi, Alan. How are you? Morning, Ian. Very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks very much. Now, traditionally, we like to ask our uh, guests, the first question for you is, when did you ski or snowboard last? So, uh, Eleanor, when did you last ski or snowboard last? Oh, it's not so far because I'm lucky to live in Ladies Up. So I probably went on a ski touring two weeks ago on the last time and I really enjoy it. it was, it's so fantastic. I just discovered this uh, discipline this winter because we couldn't ski for sure. Yep. And uh, I really enjoyed myself. So I've been skiing two weeks ago. Excellent. What was the snow like then? Uh, not so bad because we were lucky. We had some snowfalls, yeah, two, three weeks ago. So it was a, a kind of powder. So pretty good. Excellent. And what about yourself, Al? When did you last go skiing? Yeah, it's been a little bit longer for me. So the last time that I was on snow was actually March 2020, so just before all of the uh, real pandemic kicked off and lockdown happened. We So there's a an industry in, in Great Britain for snow sports called the Snow Sport Industry in Great Britain. They organise a test that was supposed to be in Pila in Italy for um, obvious reasons uh, that got moved. So some people who are members of the SIGB amazingly at the last minute managed to organise the test being in Scotland. We were really fortunate with conditions and I was in Glenshee for a week and it was incredible. So lucky with conditions. It, it was a fantastic week. Right. So your last skiing was actually in Britain. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, excellent. Okay, well, we'll move on to finding out a little bit more about what you did when you were there uh, later on. To start off with, just going to, there's been some news yesterday. You know, this podcast is going to come out on on Monday, the 12th of April. We're recording now on Friday the 9th. But there's been some more information about how travel might work after May the 17th. And as widely leaked, there it looks like there's going to be a traffic light system with green countries and amber countries and red countries. Uh, and a different degree of testing required uh, before travel, before you come back, and then after you get back and potentially quarantine as well. And I'll drop something in the show notes so you can have a look at that in more detail. Uh, but that's kind of where we are today. And that situation is is fluid. It's going to be in place from May the 17th, but they're going to review it roughly on a monthly basis. So there'll be a review on the 28th. And my suspicion is that France will be in the amber uh, zone to start off with um, but hopefully that will change because it's locked down in France at the moment uh, and vaccinations are going up but I'm just going to drop in a, a quick interview I did here with um, Katie Crow from uh, Battleface because they did some uh, research into how much people would be prepared to pay for testing and this is a quite a big deal because um, the government are currently insisting on people taking PCR tests at costing hundreds of pounds rather than the lateral flow test so uh, let's have a listen to that. Great I'm joined today by Katie Crow who is Director of Communications at Battleface. How are you Katie? Hi, Ian. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. We're recording this on the uh, on the 8th of April and announcements are imminent about um, traffic light system and travel corridors and where and when we might be able to go. What's your thinking about the uh, proposed traffic light system that we're hoping to hear about? Well, obviously, yeah, we're all wait, waiting um, eagerly for Monday to, to come about. Um, obviously, the proposed traffic light system is going to be potentially great news for the travel industry in terms of opening up international travel. However, it's going to um, bring in complexity in terms of which countries require 
you know, and which what specific entry requirements and how they will move from red to amber to green. Um, so, you know, it's going to be really important that holidaymakers check the FCDO advice and really do their research on the destination before traveling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, that was one of the frustrations from last year. We were about to go to France, and I think it was the night before <laughs> when we had to suddenly change all of our plans and uh, and rearrange uh, uh, that holiday. Um, interestingly, I saw I was watching BBC News the other day, and I saw Simon Reeve, the uh, travel presenter, on there, and he mentioned uh, Battleface and a survey that you guys had done about um, how much people were prepared to pay for tests for traveling. Yeah, absolutely. We've been working with Simon Reeve. Um, he's our brand ambassador and he's been doing a series of interviews with the BBC and Sky News and talking about the recent survey we've conducted at Battleface. Right. OK. And um, what were the conclusions? What did you what did people say? So um, one of the findings was that um, it revealed that a surprising number of Brits, a quarter, in fact, would refuse to travel to countries that demand proof of a COVID-19 vaccination. That's quite, right. a, that's quite a worrying statistic um, mm. as the coronavirus pandemic has really altered the way we travel and the way we're going to be able to travel in the future. Um, but on, a, on the flip side, 62% of Britons are in favour of countries adopting vaccination passports, which is really interesting given that just yesterday the government said that certificates showing vaccinations would provide reassurance and potentially help signal if a person is contagious or not yeah i mean it's such a a, a difficult area this because evidently for some people you know getting vaccinations is going to take a little bit longer than for others i think under what the the has been leaked let's say about how this uh, traffic light system might work if you've had a vaccination, you could be able to avoid having to quarantine at home, possibly. And, uh, you know, so that's quite a significant difference as far as a holiday is concerned. Um, so, but it, I'm quite surprised that um, you're saying a quarter of people would be put off travel if they had to prove they've had a vaccination. Yeah, I think this was a surprising statistic. And I think it will probably come down as people realise, as travel starts to open up and people realise that this is potentially, you know, one of the only ways they can actually travel. Um, there's still a real, really uh, high degree of uncertainty among British travellers regarding vaccination passports, testing, having the vaccine. So it's a very fast moving environment. Um, yeah, and for it's, sure. It's going to be interesting to hear what the government has to say on Monday. Yeah, I mean, I saw a study from Amadeus, uh, which I tweeted this morning. It said 91% of travellers said they'd be comfortable using a digital health passport. But I guess it depends who they uh, surveyed. Maybe they were just surveying uh, people from the travel industry itself. A apart from the vaccination side of things, then you've also got, you know, the, the testing side of things. Because, again, if you if it the way it's looking is that maybe on the uh, the kind of green countries, you'll be able to just have one test when you come back into the UK. But on that, the current package that's available costs a couple of hundred pounds to be that you have to buy in advance for PCR tests, I think on day two and uh, day eight or something like that. And that's a lot of money. And in your survey, you also looked into how much people were prepared to pay, I think. Absolutely, yeah. We looked at um, some of the other results coming out of the study revealed that that Brits are only willing to pay £22 per person on average for a PCR test, yeah. which is not surprising because, you know, the cost of international travel is already pretty substantial with your flights, your hotel, your car hire. And then if you add on a PCR test, which is costing you in the region of £150 per person, that's going to mm. add on another sort of £600 to your trip if you're a family of four. So, um, a third also said they wouldn't be prepared to pay for a PCR test, either at home or the airport, before travelling internationally. Um, and at present, UK travellers are not permitted to use the NHS test for travel. So, you know, private tests can cost in the region of 120 on the high street to, to, to up to £200 at some clinics. Yeah, and that does seem to be, let's face it, a complete ripoff because, um, you know, people who are corresponding with me on Twitter are saying, you know, overseas in Europe, you can uh, get uh, tested for 
a much more reasonable amount of money. I think it's something like 30 pounds or 30 euros a, a time. So it, it does seem like it's being deliberately inflated in the UK to try and discourage people, which doesn't help the travel industry. Not at all. Absolutely. I think it's um it's a big question that needs to be addressed pretty swiftly before international travel opens up um, and, you know, in, to enable people to get out there. Yeah, well, I mean, there is a possibility um, that the lateral flow tests will might come in and might people might be able to use those uh, instead. So I guess we'll see about that. The other factor which you alluded to early on uh, is that um, countries travel might be allowed, but um, the, it might be that the uh, Foreign Office recommend against non-essential travel. And in which case, one of the reasons, I, again, I wanted to have you on, I mentioned when I went out to Cron uh, Montana back in December, I was searching around for insurance and I discovered that Battleface will actually insure you even if you are going to a country um, where those recommendations are in place. Absolutely, yeah. At Battleface, um, we cover uh, countries that are under FCDO uh, advisories. So... Um, I mean, the pandemic has totally changed everything, you know, with that and travel warnings, changes in FCDO advice, changing entry requirements. They've all emphasized the importance of having the appropriate travel insurance in place before any trip, you know, yeah. never. Yeah, it's essential for sure. What about yourself, Katie? Have you got any plans then? When you can travel, will you be going away somewhere? Well, I'm really hoping I'll be able to make it out to Chamonix this year. We were meant to go last year for, for our ski holiday, and unfortunately that was cancelled. And again, this year in March, it was cancelled again. So we've now moved it to July. So I'm really hoping that we're going to be able to get, get out there. But with France having gone into a three-week lockdown, I'm wondering what's going to happen, you know, come end of May, June. Yeah, again, we've all given up making uh, <laughs> making predictions. However, my understanding is that they should, uh, in France, on the current uh, track, over 50% of the population should have had a vaccination by the uh, end of June. And I believe that that will be a, a factor. So, um, and, you know, the lockdown should uh, reduce the infection rate. So, so fingers crossed, Katie, that you get to go out there. I don't know that you'll be doing much skiing in July, but it's a fantastic place to go on holiday. Thanks very much for uh, coming on today and uh, sharing all those details with us. And, uh, you know, hopefully if things go well, uh, all of those factors won't be such an issue. Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me, Ian. Let's move out to the Alps now. In another world, uh, this week I'll be with my family in outdoors. And I'm sure many of our listeners right now will be on holiday in the Alps. Uh, but travel bans are still in place. But there is still some snow out there. And in fact, there's been some new snow this week. So let's catch up with some of our, our regular contributors. They're going to bring us up to date with conditions in the Alps. Hi, Ian. Alex from 150 Days of Winter with an end-of-season snow report from Courchevel. Despite looking like a ghost town for the past month, Courchevel has been looking after their peace. The dammers have been bashing all the main peace, making it a ski tourist winter wonderland. Almost every day, I've been ski touring on perfect corduroy piece. A recent cold snap has seen fresh snow and arctic temperatures help the mountain look in great shape. Although events like the X3 triathlon have been delayed until mid-May or until Macron can make up his mind, there should be plenty of snow for the ski touring section. The upgraded stad is in a perfect condition for the racers in the local club de sport and I even managed to ski down the new World Championships downhill piece, L'Eclipse, which looks like it'll be a suitable comparison to Valdez's FAS. Recently, the Salir piece has been specially maintained for Alexis Pantoro, who is celebrating finally winning the Crystal Globes this season. The resort is officially closing on the 18th of April. However, it has felt like it closed on the 18th of March, an end to a very peculiar season with hopes already looking towards summer events of ski jumping and Red Bull 400, and of course, the 2022 winter season. Until then, ciao. Hi everyone, Andy from St Anton, giving what will probably be the last snow report of the winter season. It's Friday the 9th of April in St Anton Malberg, and indeed the rest of the world, and the lifts close here on the 11th of April. That's two more days of skiing to be had. Since the last great snowfall in the middle of March, spring had definitely sprung. The weather here has been glorious, um, indeed across most of the Alps. It's been lovely, warm, sunny. Everyone was out in their shorts and t-shirts. 
Um, it was time for some snow bathing um, and the, the world was looking quite rosy. Um, apart from the last four or five days where we've actually received um, an epic snowfall again. Uh, it's like the snow gods are just teasing us and reminding us um, of, the, of the season that's just about to finish and certainly reminding everybody how good April skiing can actually be. Uh, we, at the start of the week, we had a little spattering of snow on the Monday, uh, Sunday into Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, we received about 20 centimetres overnight in town, which resulted in about 30 to 40 centimetres up higher up. Uh, everyone was back in the snowsuits. Um, it was temperatures plummeted. It was up, kind of up in the minus 20s at the top of the mountain. It really was went quite bitterly cold but very, very strange, warm at the bottom and bitterly cold up at the top. But it was two days of fantastic powder skiing for everyone who was lucky enough to be here to, to access it all. The lifts have closed um, almost. They're down to a very limited capacity. In Dean and St Anton, there's only actually three lifts open. Uh, Lek and Zurs uh, only have about five, five lifts between them all. And everything is due to close, as I said, on, on Sunday the 11th. However, next week, there is also another 30 to 40 centimetres expected by, by next Wednesday, the 14th, uh, which would be another, um, would have been another spectacular end to the, to the winter season uh, here in St. Anton and probably across the whole of the Alps as well. Um, alas, it hadn't to be. So with the season coming to an end and it being a season that most of us in this industry can't wait to forget and put behind us, Mother Nature has continuously given us a reminder through December, January, February, March, and now into April, just how fantastic a snow season can be in these Alps. We very much look forward to the same conditions, the same snow, the same amazingness as next year, but with everybody back skiing in the resort. Cheers for now. Let's move down to the southern French Alps now to Les Des Alpes. Uh, hi, Eleanor. Thanks for joining us. Uh, can I ask, I know you're in lockdown now. What's the current situation there and how's that affecting you in, in Ladies Out? So actually, we've got the habit. It's true we are back to a lockdown. It's really hard again. But as you, you know, in France, the ski resort now are closed. So it means that this is the end of the winter season. But now it's time for us to look forward to the next summer season. Now it's time to, to turn a page and uh, to focus on the summer. And we want it. We need it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been a very uh, difficult winter. We might come back to that. But I like to focus on the, uh, on the positive. Uh, I mean, there was skiing in Ladies Out last summer. Uh, you obviously have a glacier there, and I've, I've skied there in the summer uh, before. It's a big area up there. What's the plans for opening the glacier this summer? So the plan is to open on the next 5th of June, probably earlier. It will depend uh, of the government, the French government and the authorities. If we are lucky, we can open on Saturday 29th of May. So we are going to be the first as a ski resort open for the summertime for skiing. So it's going to be time to, to ski again, to be back on the glacier, and I can't wait to do that. I'm probably <laughs> going to be the first on the slopes <laughs> with the crew. So, finger crossed. Yeah, and, and what sort of measures will you have in place then? Because I think that last uh, summer, I mean, you know, France Montaigne produced all of these details about how it was going to be uh, possible to ski in France this winter with all sorts of, uh, you know, measures to ensure health and safety. And they never got to put them in place. But what will it be like uh, it skiing in Ladies Out this summer then? You know, in Lenders Out, the health measures are really the same as in all the all France. I mean, uh, we start doing the last summer, but if you remember, we've been skiing also during the autumn. And we were, we were led up a kind of test place, test ski area with the health measures, uh, health protocol, and it works, and it has worked. That's why sometimes it's difficult to understand why the authorities, the French government doesn't really want open the, the ski lift because everything was okay. So just to remember the, the health protocol, um, 
you have to wash your hands, you have to use hydraulic gel, you have to wear a mask, a mask in the cabin, in the cable, on the chairlift, but not on the slopes, even not on a ski resort. It's only on the different lifts. Uh, you have to respect the social distance as everywhere. It's quite the same. But one thing, maybe for the next summer, what we are going to do, a new measure, is probably to impose or to apply a kind of quota. It means limited the number of people to reach the glacier. Because okay. we think, because the people were not skiing during this winter, uh, they really want to come back here because we are going to be one of the only ski resorts to, to be lucky to be open for skiing. So it means probably a uh, lot of clients, a lot of people. So we have to manage with it and anticipate. So maybe we are going to be obliged to limit uh, the number of people and to manage the big queue. And, and in terms of those queues, I think that some of the resorts, for example, in Italy and Switzerland that opened early on last winter, they didn't anticipate how many people would uh, come to the resort. Will you be selling all the lift passes in advance with a, a number? How will that work? We are going to impose uh, a number of ski pass for sale. And when it's going to be finished, it could be about 300 people, for example. And after that, we are not going to sell any more ski passes. It's going to be the limit. For example, I don't know exactly today because I know yesterday all the lift company got a, a huge uh, meeting in order to be well organized and anticipate this kind of problem. Right. Okay. Because from my memory of uh, skiing in Ladies Alp in the summer before, it's obviously very popular with, with racers and race teams who want to be able to get that practice in. And I suspect with travel to the southern hemisphere being quite difficult, maybe there'll be even more demand from those races this summer. Yeah, but you have three, three months to be well organized during the summer. So we can try to organize the people coming. You think about the, the big crew, the team, the athletes. And for example, on the last summer, we were really well organized because we imposed the athletes a time, a kind of schedule. So some were obliged to arrive at six in the morning, some at 6.30, some at seven, etc., in order to be well organized and not to create a long queue. Well, I was just gonna say, I was out in uh, Sasfe last summer in July, where a lot of people were racing and they had exactly the same system there. I interviewed uh, Dave Riding, one of the UK racers, who was explaining to me that the the people who were training on the glacier were in their own separate bubbles, so to speak. So they, they all went up on the same lift together every day in those particular groups. So there wasn't mixing between racers. Yeah, you're right. It's exactly the same. We have to care, to take care about this kind of system to organize the queue, to organize the time schedule, to put all the same crew in one cabin, etc. And what about mountain bikers? Because Ladies Alp is uh, very popular with mountain bikers as well. Will they be able to put their bikes onto the lifts and go up? Yeah, for sure. It's going to be as well the same organization. So everybody, you know, with a mountain bike, you can probably be two or three in the cabin car to get up to the glacier, if you remember, in the big cable car. So it's going to be easy. And the mountain bikers are starting not so early because for <laughs> skier, they have really to wake up early in the morning. Yeah, but that's right. But mountain bikers is after 10 o'clock. They take time. So... Yeah. And, uh, you know, you referred before, you don't really understand why the French government haven't allowed lifts to open. And I certainly empathise uh, with that. You know, Switzerland, I think, have demonstrated that it is possible to, you know, run lifts at a, a lower capacity with social distancing and allow people to ski uh, pretty well. But it must have been you know, very difficult for you and everyone living in Ladies Out because people tend to forget that these are real communities where people live. And this is a saison blanche. I mean, what's the atmosphere been like in resort? Yeah, you're right. It has been really hard, really strange, uh, not to say really tough time. 
But, you know, we are uh, living in the mountains. We feel really the mountain spirit. Uh, as you say, we are a big family here. So we try to help each other in order to go forward this uh, amazing situation. Um, you should know that in France, in all the ski resorts, we've been fighting a lot. Since November, we were in the street. We were, we went on strike. Uh, we want to be hurt by, by the French government and all the authorities. And uh, we were working hard. You told about France Montagne, but we were working hard uh, as well with uh, the French Ski Area Association, with the French Mayor Association, with different touristic instances in France. We were all together in order to to be heard by the French government and to make them understand that because we are living in the mountain, uh, it's fresh air, it's great space, <clears throat> there's no problem. You can't really uh, have any problem with the COVID because there's enough place for everybody. But nothing happened. We were not heard. They have decided for a long time and we couldn't do in another way, just accept the situation. Yeah, and I think I'm right in saying uh, that uh, although that's very frustrating, they have now decided to give uh, a compensation to lift companies based on turnover. It's like about 50% of the normal uh, revenue, something like that. Yeah, it took a long time. It was also one of the fight for the lift company because the problem for all the ski resorts, we lost a lot of turnover. The economy is really bad, actually. It's not really well going on and it's not going to help to focus on the next winter season. For example, in Nedersalp, imagine we lost about 130 million euro of turnover. Normally, we are supposed to do 170 euro of turnover. Yeah. So it means the losses, the economy losses is really huge. How yeah, can we yeah. do? So we need the pension and the money back from the government, from Europe Commission and everybody. Otherwise, it's not going on. Yeah, I mean, I think these are some of the things that uh, I think our listeners, because of how we've covered it, hopefully do understand that. But I remember covering all the demonstrations back uh, in December and January. And I know there were some big demonstrations back down in Bourg d'Oison and, and that uh, hashtag. I think it was Je suis en station. Uh, you know, trying to get people to understand that, you know, ski resorts aren't like Disneyland where you can just close the doors. You know, they're actually people, uh, places where people live and live in communities. So that's very frustrating. But focusing on the positive, again, I, I, I did hear something about a, a Bradley Wiggins cycling event uh, this autumn. I don't know if this is confirmed yet. Do you know anything more about that? Yeah, you're right. It's not really uh, actually well uh, confirmed, but we were approached from the tour operator of Poland a few weeks, few months ago. And they really want to organize different events on place in the design uh, between the, the end of August and September. It's going to be three weeks to offer free sport camps. So they are supposed to organize uh, one triathlon camp from the 26th to the 30th of August. An Alpine boot camp is going to be amazing for the athletes from the Second to the 6th of September. And the last one with Bradley Wiggins, if he's going to be here, huh? we are just waiting uh, to see if it's going to be available at this time of the year. From the 9th to the 13th of September, it's going to be a kind of cycling camp. So, I mean, all of the, all of those uh, sound really good. As as you'll remember, I've been out to Ladies Alp and done some uh, trail running uh, over there. I I took part in the uh, the night trail event, which was a uh, uh, great fun. But uh, Alan, I don't know if you know, he's also a very keen triathlete and a very good triathlete. I can imagine he's uh, uh, listening to that and thinking that sounds great as well. So when that gets confirmed, we'll uh, we'll have some more info. I've got one more question for you, uh, Alan. Now, this was asked by one of our listeners. They mentioned that proposed lift 
which has been talked about for a long time between Ladies Out and Out the Wiz, connecting the two resorts. Do you think that's ever going to happen? Uh, yes, I do, for sure. It's a long project. You know, I'm here probably since 30 years now. I'm working here and I always heard about this project. I know it's on the way to be done, but it takes time, even more with the pandemic situation, which doesn't really help. The project is actually on its way, but it's going to take time. What we need is really to turn it in a kind of sustainable development. It's not only going to be a kind of cable car between the two reserves, only for skiers. It's going to be also for pedestrian, but also for workers. So it's going to help the life between the valley. People who are working here can go to Alpedres to work as well, and people from Alpedres can come here for work, but without using the car. Because yeah. now the time is to focus on a new way of life, of sustainable development, and to be really focused, focused on that kind of things. That's why the project takes a long time as a bit of delay because we have to present the commission who is in charge of the project has to present really the good project with this kind of focus on, you know. So yep. it's probably going to happen, but not right now. Probably, let me say, about five years long more, maybe okay. because it, it's long. Well, that's a great that's a great answer, and I think that will be really interesting as well. And you can see how um, you know a lot of people would uh, use it to get up from the valley to the different resorts as well. So that that's brilliant, uh, Eleanor. I look forward to hearing how the the Bradley Wiggins things goes. And skiing in the summer is very exciting. You know, it could only be uh, what are we talking about? A couple of months time till that opens. So thanks very much for that. Thanks, Jan. It was really a pleasure to be with you. And I miss you all so much here. <laughs> I was missing the journalists this year. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that'll happen too. Alan, we're going to move on to a little chat about equipment now. Um, at the start of uh, uh, 2020, I, I did a survey and asked our listeners what uh, they'd like to hear more of. And equipment reviews are something that cropped up uh, several times. So it's really good to have you on board uh, uh, today. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about Ski Kit Info and, and what that is, you know, who's it for, what can people find? Uh, thank you. Yes, Ski Kit Info is a strange one. So for the best part of two decades, I've been testing kit and equipment for uh, different media in the UK, a lot of the publications that people are used to reading kit reviews. Um, each winter, I go through the ranges with all the brands at trade shows, looking at the following season's kit. And, and off the back of that, I, with my notes, I was just because so I know what's going on and then I can select what consumers might be buying, what we might want to test. Then I'd do this old document about what was new and exciting. And then people I was testing with got interested in that. And then retailers got interested in it. So that kind of started to get passed around different people. And then Skaker Info was born from that really originally as a website. And then it's evolved into many more things, YouTube channel, yeah. social media. And just, yeah. to, just to clarify, I mean, you were at the Ski Club of Great Britain for a long time. And which magazines were you writing your equipment reviews up for? So the Ski Club had their own magazine. So I did it for them. And then I'd have to write pieces about equipment for different media that would contact the Ski Club. So whether that be, you know, mainstream newspapers, etc. And then I also ran the test for the Telegraph, um, who, who had a magazine at the time as well. Um, yeah, so that was, and it's all things, boots, helmets, poles, skis, whatever it may be, anything to do with skiing hardware. Yeah, well, I know you've uh, you've been an expert in it for a long time. And um, just looking on to this winter, I know it's a bit of a cliche to say it's been an unusual winter. Uh, it, you know, the same for retailers as well as resorts. I mean, Eleanor mentioned then about, you know, the drop in uh, revenues. Uh, for the resort itself. Now, in France and a lot of Europe, I know cross-country skis and touring equipment, you know, is sold out. So in that respect, they've done well, but it's got nowhere near covering what they would normally take. What, do you know what the situation is with UK retailers this winter? Yeah, it's been a struggle, hasn't it? I mean, it's been a struggle for, for everybody. You know, retail's been able to have 
people through the door only really sporadically. A lot of the sales been online. I mean, this has been the season of touring. And one great thing is that people have been getting out, getting into the mountains. Scotland's had a great winter for snowfall, which is fantastic. So we've seen lots of people touring up there, lots of people in Europe touring. And I know that actually that a lot of the brands have sold out of their touring product. Retailers in Europe sold out, a lot of European consumers were therefore coming to British retailers, which is, which is fantastic. And also the second-hand market has, has done pretty well. You know, people who aren't sure if they're going to stick with touring or don't know what's going to happen next season. None of us do at this time. Um, so they've been dipping their toe into the water, if you will, um, in the way that they can can afford to, because touring kit can be quite expensive. It's a top-end product. And that is really interesting. Uh, we've had uh, Mike on the show before talking about skiing in Wales, and he goes ski touring in Wales. I would have loved to have gone ski touring in Scotland. I had a trip booked, but it just wasn't able to fit in around what we're allowed to do in the UK. I found that really interesting that you're saying that so people in Europe where they found that uh, the touring equipment had sold out were actually buying from UK retailers uh, online. So there was a, an upside there. But what, what's going to happen to all of the, the 2020-21 stock that UK retailers bought, which is presumably still sitting in, in warehouses? I mean, that's a great question because typically you'll see sell through the season and then get next season's product. Normally, we will see ranges from a brand change quite a lot from season to season. Uh, it could just be uh, the look of the skis. So some skis will have a graphic change. But every four or five years, then a range of skis will completely change. That's about the, the, about the timescales we look at. But for next season, I've been through the ranges of quite a few brands already, even though we haven't been able to have trade shows. And I'm seeing a lot fewer changes in the ranges. Yes, there are still new innovation, which is fantastic to see. And there are some new technologies in boots and things, which is great. It's all about fit and comfort. But for the consumer, for people going to buy skis, for what I think is a really good point is that the, what they, if they buy over the summer, for example, when they're you know, the, the, the ski shops are going to reopen in the UK so we can go along and support them and buy products. And it means that those colours aren't going to be old next season for a good proportion of the ranges. Also, for the retailers, it means that they can sell stock that they're sitting on and they're not necessarily having to, re to reduce the price of it because everybody struggled financially through this and the retailers need to try and, you know, make some revenue again. Right. Okay. That's quite interesting. So, you know, because the changes between uh, last season and this season's new stock are, are relatively small, it's not going to affect things so much, but it's going to be place some really difficult decisions on the buyers for, uh, for the different retailers to decide how much of what stock to get in. Just thinking about demand. I mean, we've seen lots of uh, studies which have shown that um, generally the wealthier uh, have done reasonably well from the coronavirus pandemic and saving rates have gone up there's lots of pent-up demand you know people have money that they're prepared to spend but you kind of feel that maybe someone who's going to buy new skis is just naturally going to uh, trend towards buying the the newest range rather than the older ones and retailers might just end up with a whole load of stock they're never going to be able to sell yeah people do like new product and one of the great things in the range is not changing a ski for winter 2021 is the same ski as winter uh, next winter 21-22. So they could just say this is, you know, the, the new season ski, even though they may have bought it previously. Forecasting yeah. for everybody, for the retailers. Imagine the manufacturing. They're a year ahead manufacturing factories in some locations. How do you account for that, given the year we just had? So it's a really difficult time. I know it is for everybody be it in ski when they're forecasting quite far ahead then it's, it's just compounded. Yeah. I mean, is it possible that because uh, suppliers uh, and uh, indeed the factories may have been a bit bearish about it all, that there might be just a limited supply? And if you do really want to get something, you probably need to get in there early. Is that feasible? We've actually seen that this season. So that lighter weight product, a touring product that we just mentioned, then some manufacturers had sold out really early of that and actually getting new product into retail. They weren't necessarily selling piste skis or all mountain skis, but that lighter weight free riding touring product at times is really hard to come by. So, yeah, if you know what you want, I wouldn't necessarily wait. You know, I would go and get it while you can. As we've seen, the demand is there, hopefully. 
that tourism bodies believe it is, the brands think it is. We know from talking to skiers that they're, you know, they are so passionate, they really want to go skiing. Um, so hopefully things will pick up really quickly. So I wouldn't want to be left without the skis that I wanted when I could mm. buy it at this time. And, uh, you know, I know there's, you know, trends change the whole time. The, the biggest new thing that I've seen, and we discussed this in episode uh, 68, was the Elan, I think it's called the Voyager ski, which is a strange old thing that folds up in half. Have you seen that ski? And what do you think of that? It is a really interesting ski. Now, Elan is a really innovative company. It's a Slovenian-based company, and this is not the first folding ski that they've made. So they made one for military use and for niche touring where people wouldn't want the tail of a ski hanging down. And that was called the Ibex Tactics Carbon uh, and actually skied it a couple of years ago. And it was incredible. It wasn't as light as some touring product because it had this big carbon plate on the top. But what this carbon plate did, when you unfold the ski into its strict, uh, straight state, its skiing state, the plate swings around and locks into place and it really stiffened up the ski and it made it feel more like an all-mountain ski. Now, a couple of years later, what do we see? A land of got an all-mountain ski, the Voyager, that you rightly call it. Uh, and I'm really excited about this. I know how the old one skied and it was so impressive. There's no kind of give in that hinge. It's a multi-pivot hinge and the plate on top is really big and strong. The binding sits on that. From what I've experienced already of similar product by them, this stands to do really well. Got it in three colors, they've got it in three sizes. It's quite expensive though. So that's that's the kind of the real Okay, it's quite it's quite expensive, but it folds down to a much more and a size that's much easier to move around the place. So you wouldn't necessarily need to have a ski bag. You could get it into your regular bag. Is that or a backpack is that is well, it like that yeah so well they actually sell it as a set so it comes in a bag with poles with the bindings mounted yeah this cleaning brush and uh, and a drying cloth and the back there's two bags there's a wheelie version which is slightly more expensive and then just a handled bag looks it looks a bit like a hold all and it's a meter long uh, and the so you can check any of these bags into the uh, the hold of of airlines within the restrictions of, of most airlines um without having to pay for ski carriage and that's part of that but it actually really fits easily into the boot of a car if you're going on the train so yeah depending on the length of the ski they can go it goes from 160 full length and that'll fold to 87 and then the bigger ski 172 folds to 93 so they do go small good stats al i like that that's really good um i mean that is really interesting because you know you're saying it's quite expensive but if you were someone who traveled uh you know regularly you could uh, you could sa- get those savings back fairly quickly by not paying ski carriage for someone like myself who i tend to travel by train when i go to the alps and i don't actually own any skis even though i do a lot of skiing i'm normally hire some or whatever but some people who are traveling by train are a bit you know concerned about getting for example across paris and how they're going to do that with skis but with this sort of thing you just stick it in your backpack and and that's it yeah i've had that um rather difficult situation of schlepping across paris with numerous pairs of skis and boots and it's very tricky this will make it far easier so the the version that comes in a wheelie bag you can actually pack your boots and your ski clothing and your helmet your goggles and everything in the bag with the skis everything's in that you just wheel it it's amazing so yeah yeah it's a really good innovation alan innovate and in all kinds of ways with their skis and make skis in ways that other manufacturers don't so this again knowing how they performed in the past should work really well cool well i mean that is really interesting alan it's uh, it's great to have you uh, on the podcast and hopefully um we can have you back on the podcast again in the future and you can tell us about some uh, other products uh, as well so that's uh, that's great um, i'm just going to mention at this point uh, i'm going to drop it into the show notes a uh, video of um some skiers who are out uh, one of them gets caught in an avalanche and it's one of the most tense things i've seen and if ever you need a reminder that if you're going off piste you need to know how to use your beeps your transceiver it's um it's uh, it's just a very dramatic film have you seen this one uh, Al? uh these guys. I don't, really... I don't know. I've seen the one that you talk about. So, okay, yeah, well, I'm going to drop it in the show notes, but it's not a spoiler to say it's a happy ending. 
but it's so dynamic. It's uh, it's really good. Let, let's move to the uh, uh, perhaps the other end of the spectrum uh, now. Charlie has been reporting for us from Switzerland this winter, and he went out to Engelberg uh, uh, last weekend, uh, I think it was, where he tried uh, snowshoeing. So um, slightly different from uh, from off-piste uh, skiing, uh, which he did try there as well. So let's have a listen to what he had to say. Hi all, this is Charlie and this week I'm reporting from Engelberg in Switzerland where I'm going to be trying out snowshoeing for the first time and I'll also be testing out the electric snowmobiles on the Snowpark X up at Tribsee. Uh, I did an early season ski report for the ski podcast here back in November 2020 when just the glacier on the Titlis was open uh, but now there are a lot more activities that you can do in the height of winter season here in Engelberg. The ski resort has become very popular with Scandinavians in recent years and is also very well known for its extensive and varied free riding terrain. There are also plenty of iconic tours that can be completed here, such as the Titlis Circular Tour and also the Engelberger Hope Route, uh, should you be keen to give that a go uh, during your time here. Additionally, there are also dozens of old-fashioned farmer-owned cable cars all around Engelbergertal uh, called the Birdie Barnley. Many uh, are open in winter, which you are able to use to explore the area for hiking or skiing. Recommend if you're doing that, you should take a guide as most of the runs there are off-piste. Um, but usually you have to ring up the farmer and they'll switch on the, the cable car for you and you pay in cash at the top. So it can be quite an interesting experience, uh, especially in a heavy agricultural Swiss German accent. Uh, but all the trips are reasonably priced and costing no more than about 10 Swiss francs. Down the valley, there's also a pay-as-you-go free ride area called Hangligrat. So uh, if you want to explore some more off-piste outside of the main ski areas in Engelberg, uh, there's plenty on offer here. From the quirky lift access terrain, uh, well off the trodden path to routes accessed by ski touring, there's absolutely loads to do for the adventurous skier. And I'd recommend that you take a guide, especially uh, for, for some of the uh, challenging off-piece routes here because it can be, can be dangerous and it's, it's well worth just having them along for the safety aspect and uh, reading the dangers. But as I mentioned, there's plenty of other activities for all abilities and tastes. Uh, and that also cater for families and beginners. One of those things is uh, snowshoeing, and as I mentioned, I'll be giving that a go today. So I've now just stuck the snowshoes on, having a little wander around. They're actually very different to how I uh, how I thought they would be. So you have four straps on each foot, three around the front and one round the back. They're very easy to put on, and these straps strap you into like a little uh, patch which moves freely up and down to give you some mobility uh, on, on the tray of the snowshoe itself. And it, what it means is basically you can walk in deeper snow a lot easier. Um, and they also have some crampons on to stop you slipping on some ice. So, yeah, really looking forward to uh, giving this a go and trying it out. Maybe it's something for you to think about doing on your next ski holiday. Well, I have to say I really enjoyed snowshoeing. It's lovely to be out in the mountains and in the nature. And we actually got to see a little Ibex deer. Uh, so very pretty and really a nice break to be away from the hustle and bustle of the main ski area. Uh, let's just listen in to what Chris Oldeker, my guide from Prime Mountain Sports, had to say about how you can think about getting into it on your next ski trip. We've just uh, completed a, a short little snowshoe tour around Trubsey. Uh But I just want to ask you, Chris, why, why should people think about getting into snowshoeing in their ski holidays? Yeah, it's, um, so snowshoe walking really can open up the mountain environment for people that don't necessarily want to go to the extremes of going, you know, the climbing, the, the touring element. So it allows you to get out into the mountains, but in a safe way and, a, and, an, and in a comfortable way. Are there any uh, risks that people should be aware of when they go snowshoeing? Yeah, there's obviously, when you start going snowshoeing um, off unmarked trails, and uh, then there are all the avalanche risks uh, to be concerned with. And then there's also the, the risks of going into wildlife protected areas as well. But as long as you stick to the marked routes, then they are controlled and they are safe and they do do the, the, the correct controls. So just on the marked routes, could you tell me a bit about the uh, the, the, the marked snowshoe trails around Engelberg? What's on, what's on offer here? Yeah, so uh, we've got quite a few. It's not a not huge amounts, but definitely enough to, to keep you occupied. Um, so today we've gone up, we started at 1800 at Troopsay, so and then we walked around the, the lake and we went up to um, up to 1900 to a place called Bitsy Stock and then kind of walked our way around and we come to a cable car and that brings us back down. So really, that, that was a route that took about two, two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, then on the other side of the mountain uh, on Bruni, there's a lot more um, on offer as well, where you can start off at Ristis, which is where the cable car takes you up to and you can walk up uh, 300 vertical meters. And then Furnout, which is a tiny cable car at the end of the valley, um, there's no skiing there, but it is, it's just an area that you can start touring or sledging and, and also snowshoe walking. Yeah, we saw that today. It looked very nice over there. 
Uh, but how do you think people should get into snowshoeing? What would you recommend that they do? Should they take a guide? Yeah, I think by taking a guide, they'll be able to select a suitable route for you and a suitable route for the conditions as well. You know, the guides are based in the resort, so they know where the, some of the best snow is. And just by having a little chat with you, whether it's in the booking office or on the day, they can already start to see what your fitness levels are like, if there's any injuries, things to be aware of, and what your kind of goal is for the day. It might just be going for, for a coffee in a, in a random little hut in the mountains. Perfect. And what's the best thing about snowshoeing? Is it is it the fitness or is it just being out in the mountains for you? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, it's, it, you know, being out in the mountains has got to imply a little bit of fitness. Of course, if you want to walk a bit faster, then you can, uh, and a bit steeper, you can bring up the fitness, but being out in the mountains, nothing beats it. Perfect. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the time. Cheers. As I mentioned, I also got to try out the electric snowmobiles at the Snowex Park. There's a 1K prepared course by the side of the Trubse, and I have to say it was absolutely awesome fun. A pretty unique racing around that full pelt on the side of a frozen lake high up in the Swiss Alps. Here's what they had to say over at the Snowex Park um, about some of the background and how you can uh, get involved. Yeah, hi, welcome to Snowex Park. I'm Dominic. Um, yeah, we started at the privacy company, so maybe it's 11 years ago. So in the 11th season now, um, two years ago, we sold it to Titlis company. Um, yeah, all the time we drive with the electric snowmobiles. Uh, it's built by your own. So it's uh, the chassis we get, we, we bought that one and the old electric we made by ourselves, yeah. Okay, and do you have any tips for me when I'm gonna be racing around this? Uh, yeah, when track? you're racing around, first start easy. <laughs> so get a little bit into it to the bike. And after that, so lean into the curves in the front of the, of the bike. So get the weight on the ski and then you get much more easier in the curves. Okay. So don't stand up. It's not normal like so you start in Finland or in Sweden. <laughs> so sit on the bike, you have much more control then. And what's my top speed? Top speed is around 35, 37 kilometers an hour. Great. Well, looking forward to giving it a go. Cheers. So I've now just pulled up to the side of the uh, course in my snowmobile. But I hope what this report shows is how great a location Engelberg is for winter or mountain enthusiasts. I know it's currently uncertain if holiday travel will be possible this summer, but before rounding up, it's also probably worth mentioning that there's absolutely loads to do here outside of the winter season. Engelberg calls itself the El Dorado of Klettersteig, which is the German name for Via Ferrata, with six secured mountain climbing routes made of metal wires and footways fastened to the rock for beginners through to advanced Klettersteigers. Not to mention the Burley Varnley that I talked about earlier, all the facilities on the Titlis and beautiful hikes around pristine alpine lakes where you can cool off and take in the impressive alpine scenery. Additionally, there's also a large variety of climbing, mountain biking and e-biking routes as well as the Alpine Cheese Trail. All equipment for whatever activity you want to do can be rented out from the town and like the winter, there are also many guided tours that you can take part in. It's been such a shame that you guys haven't been able to come out here this winter for skiing and I feel I've been very lucky to be in Switzerland where it's all still been possible. But hopefully when travel becomes an option again, why not think about getting your fill for the mountains this summer or autumn? You're sure to find something new here in Engelberg. Stay safe and hope that when all this is over, you can get out here and enjoy the mountains. Back to Ian in the UK. So that was great from Charlie. He's, a, he's had a great time in Switzerland and his reports have been excellent from uh, Maroon and Andermatt and Engelberg uh, throughout the whole season. Uh, just a quick update on Team GB. It's been a really good end to the season for Team GB. Uh, Kirsty Muir uh, got a silver in the uh, Slopestyle World Cup. Uh, Charlotte Banks, who we've interviewed uh, quite recently, uh, got a bronze in the uh, Snowboard Cross uh, World Cup. And Billy Major, who is a slalom skier, uh, he uh, won the Europa Cup. He was a Europa Cup slalom champion for this winter. And I uh, keep mentioning this as kind of being the championship to the premiership. So hopefully he'll be making the step up to World Cup racing and, and joining uh, Dave Riding out there as well uh, next winter. We'll, we'll see about that. Now, um, just at one point on Team GB, we're not just current Team GB. Listeners, um, if you're a regular listener, you probably heard our uh, interview and ski podcast special with Martin Bell. And earlier this week, I just published uh, uh, an interview with Eddie the Eagle Edwards. It's just a short one, 17 minutes long. But if you haven't listened to that one, uh, listen to it because, you know, he's a really nice guy and it's a really quite good fun. I'd like to thank all of these guys who uh, brought me a cuppa in the uh, last uh, or since the last uh, podcast. Uh, if you enjoy the ski podcast, you can buy me a coffee at uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. So I'd like to thank Wayne and Hubert. Uh, Nick D said it's a great podcast. Keep up the fantastic work. Thanks, Nick. And Andrew Thomas said, 
Uh, I've followed you for well over a year, and I've seen the standard increase significantly uh, in the last year. And that, you know, is about the uh, the best compliment I can have because I put in so much time uh, to these podcasts, uh, trying to get them uh, as good as possible. So thanks very much for that, Andrew. Uh, we've also had a couple of reviews across social media. Ski Intel uh, said, I'd like to thank them for their comment on Instagram. They said, love the podcast, especially one about train travel to the Alps, and they're booking their first ski train next year, um, which is great. And I can point out that Eurostar sales are now on. I've actually already booked a couple of Eurostar trips to the Alps myself. And if you take that Elan Voyager, you can uh, get your skis with you very easily as well. Uh, Inside Morzine on Twitter said uh, the podcast is an excellent listen. And we had a competition recently for reviews. Now, it doesn't have the actual name, but Les Petits Singes, which translates to uh, the little monkey, uh, said on Apple Podcasts, love this podcast. It's a shining light that gets me through the week, uh, discovering previous episodes. And because of pesky COVID, keeps the fire burning for next season. Informative, educational and extremely interesting. Keep up the brilliant work. So, you know. Thank you very much. I would like to send you our prizes. So please can you email me, ian at skipedia.co.uk, and I will send you out your prizes. And that's not all take, take, take. We've got some ski podcast stickers. If you'd like some, then please contact us. And Paul, you should have yours by now. So hopefully you're enjoying them. Just before we close, let's listen to uh, uh, our exclusive interview with Roger Federer. Hi Roger and welcome to the Ski Podcast. Now on the Ski Podcast we're great fans of Switzerland and Switzerland Tourism have worked with us for a long time but I wanted to ask you why did you decide to work with Switzerland Tourism? Well for me uh, I've always felt like I've represented Switzerland not just through Olympic Games or uh, team competitions where it says Game Switzerland or you know you see the Swiss flag I feel like uh, whenever it said my name for me there's always a Swiss flag next to it and uh, I've been very proud to uh, to do that for the 22 years that I've been on tour. So I've always felt like uh, I've been an ambassador to the country. A lot of people always told me, like, besides chocolate and mountains and all that stuff, people always revert back to me that they say, like, oh, you're from Switzerland. Oh, Federer, you know, he comes from there. So for me to do this was, in a, in a way, a logical step. For me, it was just important to know, like, how was the, the branding going to be used? Was it going to be in Switzerland? Was it going to be used worldwide? And I thought, like, I would love to uh, have it a worldwide campaign where I can invite people to come to Switzerland to maybe highlight the beauty of Switzerland because I'm so very proud to be from here so um, for me it didn't take much uh, much time to think about it for me also important was all the money that you do pay me I give it on uh, for a good cause for for charity and we're going to be building uh, uh, playgrounds here in Switzerland for me that was an important aspect as well so in a way I'm doing it for free and uh, that's how I feel best about it because I'm just uh, I'm very proud to be an ambassador for this country anyhow. And tell us, Roger, have you seen much of Switzerland yourself and have you ever been skiing there? Of course, I went all around Switzerland as a, as a kid with my parents. They were big uh, hikers. Uh, I remember a lot in Appenzell. We used to go there a lot. Then skiing, as we're from Basel, we didn't go always to one particular place uh, because we had Fasnacht, which is the big carnival in Switzerland. And then we would go to different ski resorts um, every other year. At the Ski Podcast, we're great fans of Switzerland. But what do you think makes Switzerland stand out as a destination, Roger? We obviously don't have uh, these huge metropolitan cities uh, like in Paris, New York or London. I think when you come to Switzerland, you come for its natural beauty, its lakes, its mountains, its rivers. And uh, I think just its scenery and beauty, it, how clean it is, how everything runs to perfection. The trains come on time and it's small, so you can get around uh, um, the Swiss country very quick plus I, th I really feel like every half an hour you drive you will experience a different accent of Swiss German exactly. or even a different uh, language entirely you know with the French the Italian the Swiss German and the Romance so I think it's a highly diverse and interesting country my favorite place to always come ho home to because I get that question a lot you do. what is your favorite place what is your favorite country what is your favorite city and at the end I always say well my favorite place is Switzerland my favorite food is the Swiss food just because uh, that's what I miss and like the most well Roger that's great thanks for joining us today and at the ski podcast we'll be joining you in helping to promote Switzerland as a great place to visit so uh, if you listen closely to that one, you might work out that perhaps I wasn't face to face with Roger, but I look forward to uh, maybe meeting him in Switzerland at some point. Now, it's been a hectic winter. I've managed to publish an episode every week for the last eight months. 
Uh, I love doing the podcast, but I'm just going to try and cut down to one per fortnight, uh, mainly because I need a break. But regular listeners will know I'm a big fan of trail running, and I've managed to get a place in a race called the UTMB, Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. So I have a lot of training to do before August. Um, the good news is uh, that hopefully travel bans notwithstanding, I'll be out to the Alps a couple of times this summer and I'll definitely be updating you on this in the podcast. Uh, but for now, you can follow me at Skipedia and the show at the Ski Podcast. We're also on Instagram now uh, as well. And I'd like to thank my guests for today, Eleanor and Al. Uh, and as always, to Switzerland Tourism for their support. And finally, thank you, listener, for sharing this time with us. And until next time, Goodbye. Hi there, listener. Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the ski podcast at buymeacoffee.com. This blank season has been a tough winter for all snow lovers. I've spent a lot of time and put in a lot of effort to try and give you an episode every week through this winter to give you your taste of snow, even if we can't go out there ourselves. Now, I do it anyway because I love skiing, but if you do enjoy the ski podcast and you'd like to support us, then you can literally buy me a coffee, or in my case a tea, at buymeacoffee.com. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.